Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mula po sa Quezon City, ako si Robbie Alampay, Puma Podcast. With so many figures being thrown around and debated, even among official agencies, can we ever have an accurate count of the persons killed in President Duterte's war on drugs? Sheila Coronel of the Stabil Center for Investigative Journalism in Columbia University in New York led a team of journalists asking precisely that question. They looked at data from Philippine parishes, NGOs, academics, reporters, They visited barangay officials, the police, even funeral parlors. And here's what they found. The police has an official count. Each regional office and each police station also has a count. But what we've seen is that none of these counts match and that over time the counts change. PIDEA, the Philippine Drug Enforcement Agency, also keeps a count. Each local government is mandated by the DILG to keep a count of um, a running watch list of drug users and drug dealers. And then they tick, tick off each time a drug user or a drug dealer is killed. So there are many counts. We even checked with the civil registry, which keeps track of all killings by whatever means. And that's a separate count too. In short, none of these counts match. What Coronel's team could verify was that 2,320 people were definitely killed in the first 18 months of the drug war, and that is just for three cities, Manila, Caloocan, and Quezon City alone. Only 40% of the killings are recorded in the news, and that's in Metro Manila. Can you imagine what it is in other places? One factor was plainly how the police labeled or categorized killings. Even if they are on the police record, they are miscategorized as uh, not drug-related or they're said to be deaths under investigation, which means the police is not counting them as drug-related deaths. So if you see the aggregate numbers released by the police, they say the drug-related homicides, non-police homicides, are like, only over 3,000, which is, which is, you know, to us, a fantastically low number. With the scale of the drug war, Colonel urges other organizations to keep count as well. This is hard work, getting an, an account of, of the killings. And my fear is there's so much more out there that we don't know about how the drug war is being fought, especially in areas outside Metro Manila where there are few reporters, few human rights groups. There is a big, big gap in our knowledge. And that, you know, there should really be more effort, I don't know, by home, by universities, by human rights groups, by communities, to come to terms with these killings because they will haunt us many years from now. We will have a full episode 
and a longer interview with Sheila Coronel and her co-authors from the Stabil Center for Investigative Journalism next week in a special episode of Puma Podcast. Don't forget to follow us so you'll know exactly when that episode drops. We gather today uh, hoping for the immediate passage of the proposed amendments to the Human Security Act. That was National Security Advisor Hermogenes Esperon. The government wants greater wiretapping powers ostensibly to combat terrorism. Last week, the Senate Committee on National Defense and Security held a hearing with defense officials. The main agenda to discuss legislation that will complement RA 9372. That's the Human Security Act of 2007. Here's Esperon again. In less than a year, there had been three suicide bombing attacks in Mindanao, two in Sulu and uh, earlier one in Basilan. Further intelligence sources have reported that due to the collapse of the Daesh in Syria and Iraq, terrorist fighters have been returning to their countries of origin to continue their reign of terror. What does the Senate Bill 21 want? The maximum duration of wiretapping of terrorist suspects, according to the proposal, could be expanded from 60 to 90 days. Red tape will also be cut down. The process for approving wiretaps will also be shortened. Regional trial courts will now be given authority to sign off on surveillance operations, when currently it is only the Court of Appeals that can make such an authorization. Membership in the Anti-Terrorism Council will also be expanded to integrate several government agencies, including the Department of Information and Communications Technology, the Department of Transportation, and a representative from the Bangsamoro Autonomous Region in Muslim Mindanao. But critics are wary. Barry Gutierrez, the spokesperson for the vice president, says the expanded measures could be abused. He says, for example, the law can be used to go after critics of the Duterte administration. Vice President Lenny Robredo has called for a closer examination of the proposed amendments, but Malacanang maintains that the focus will be on enemies of the state. Here is presidential spokesman Salvador Panelo. Ang mahalaga doon, merong sanction ng batas na mag-wiretap tayo sa mga kalaban. Hindi naman, hindi naman mo pwedeng wiretap sa mga individuals kasi that will be violation of one's privacy. Five more Chinese warships were spotted in Philippine waters last week. Although no hostilities flared up, military officials are on their toes. According to the Western Mindanao Command, the ships were sighted along Cebutu Strait in Tawi-Tawi since June. The military has recorded 13 intrusions by Chinese warships. No prior notice was sent to government. In response, the Department of Foreign Affairs has filed off a number of diplomatic protests. Here is Foreign Affairs Secretary Chodoro Loxin Jr. Since it is the Secretary of National Defense who has spoken, fire off a diplomatic protest at China. And if we have already fired one off on the warship, Chinese warships, fire off another. We'll never run out of those. Defense officials are also demanding an explanation from Beijing. Defense Secretary Delphine Lorenzana notes that the Chinese ambassador had assured him just last July that the Chinese Navy would always give proper notice. Recent developments could be a turning point in President Duterte's stance with regards to China. The president is set to visit Beijing this month. 
He plans to bring up the 2016 Hague ruling against China's sweeping claims in the South China Sea. Fake news and misinformation continued to play out in the recent 2019 midterm elections. That's according to a new report on the impact of disinformation on Philippine elections. Compiled by a team of academic researchers based in the United States and Australia, the report looks into several sources, from popular online conversation topics to candidates and influencers' social media posts, and even interviews with fake news producers and strategists. The most interesting findings, for one, researchers observed an increasing reliance on so-called micro-influencers. While they do not have online celebrity status, nor the thousands upon thousands or even millions of followers, and are relatively unknown to most voters, they nonetheless command a degree of visibility and greater credibility for their smaller circle of followers, including their own friends. Thus, they can provide more intimate and interactive engagement, and endorsing a particular candidate could come off as more authentic and more sincere and ultimately more effective. Where is the content being posted? Aside from Facebook and Twitter, researchers are seeing a sharp rise in the use of Instagram and YouTube. Another trend is the evolution of clickbait content into hyper-partisan online communities. Researchers documented the proliferation of closed forums that target specific populations, such as OFWs, conspiracy theorists, and so on. Due to the high degree of privacy within these groups, content moderation and fact-checking of fake news is close to impossible, A few weeks ago, the Senate filed a bill to combat fake news. Here's Senate President Tito Soto. You are responsible, you're accountable for what you place. Dapat ganun din yung gumagamit ng internet. Meron kung gusto ilagay na balita ron, siguruhin mo, binerify mo, o totoo yan. But researchers are not recommending punitive measures to quell misinformation. They say engaging the public in an open conversation to encourage transparency is the better direction. Greenland, I don't know, it got released somehow. It's just something we talked about. Denmark essentially owns it. We're very good allies with Denmark. Essentially, it's a large real estate deal. A lot of things could be done. That was U.S. President Donald Trump last weekend confirming his interest to possibly acquire Greenland, an autonomous territory of Denmark. It looks like Trump is not giving up his career in the real estate business, but the world's largest island is mostly covered in ice. Why would the U.S. be interested? So the concept came up and I said, certainly I'd be strategically it's interesting and we'd be interested, but we'll talk to them a little bit. It's not number one on the burner, I can tell you that. The U.S. has had a history of having its sights on Greenland. The island was under U.S. protective custody when Denmark was occupied by Nazi Germany. During the Cold War against the former Soviet Union, the U.S. saw strategic importance in the territory and even established a radar base. In terms of resources, Greenland has deposits of uranium and other rare earth minerals, with ice melting at an increasing pace due to climate change, access to these resources could be made more convenient. Now, we do have to say, Danish Prime Minister Mette Friedrichsen 
has said, quite bluntly, Greenland is not for sale. Ang tapat at mabait na mayor ng bayang ito. Who is this man who embraces God in his left and cuddles Satan in his right? That was a clip from a 1993 trailer of the Philippine crime film titled Humanda ka Mayor, Bahala na ang Diyos Headlined by a young Aga Mulak and Chris Aquino The movie is based on true events around the rape and murder of a University of the Philippines Los Baños student The perpetrator, former Kalawan Mayor Antonio Sanchez was sentenced to seven counts of reclusion perpetua in 1995 Each count is equal to 40 years in prison. But Filipinos were up in arms this week after it came out in the news that there was a potential for Sanchez to only serve 24 years. The reason? Quote-unquote, good conduct. The former mayor supposedly exhibited good conduct while in detention. Many are opposing the release and pointing to the fact that Sanchez had been caught with Shabu while in prison. This was hidden in a religious statue in his cell in 2010. And then in 2015, a raid also revealed that he had been enjoying air conditioning and a flat-screen TV in his cell. The law now does allow for what's called good conduct time allowances. And theoretically, there is a way to reduce time spent in prison for convicts in 2013. RA-10-592 raised the number of days to be deducted due to good conduct. The Supreme Court unanimously agreed to retroactively apply the law even to convicts who had gotten their prison sentences even before the law. This should allow convicted prisoners from the 90s to benefit from this provision. Theoretically, that would include Sanchez, and he could be among 11 inmates to theoretically apply to be able to go free. But since the controversy broke, Bureau of Customs and Justice officials have been saying that Sanchez may have a higher bar to hurdle before he even qualifies for good conduct time allowances. For one thing, he has been convicted of a heinous crime. And secondly, the fact that he was found with drugs and illegal paraphernalia raises the important question of whether he qualifies as a convict who displayed good conduct. Vaka vanha Väinämöinen elelevi aikojansa noilla Väinolan ahoilla Kalevalan kankahilla. Laulalevi virsiansa, laulalevi taitalevi, lauloi päivän pääksytusten. That was a poem spoken in Karelian, a region in northwest Russia. According to UN human rights experts, indigenous languages like the one you just heard are in danger of disappearing due to several threats. First, native speakers of many dialects continue to experience discrimination, some of it as a result of creating larger singular national identities. Experts say that, quote, over time, such policies can undermine and effectively destroy cultures. An extreme example can be found in China's re-education camps in Xinjiang, 
where the native Uyghur people are allegedly forced to learn Mandarin. Second, climate change also plays a part. Here's Alexei Chakarev from the Center for Support for Indigenous Peoples in Karelia. Yeah, we see a lot of consequences of climate change. For example, the snow is melting earlier and it impacts the lakes, for example, the ice on the lakes and the fishing. It impacts forestry, it impacts indigenous people's hunting and many other ways of life which indigenous peoples exercise. As indigenous people look for livelihood in big cities, more often than not, they are forced and compelled to use the more widely spoken languages and eventually not use their native dialects. At yan po ang headlines na Puma Podcast. If you like the work that Puma Podcast is doing, and if you want to support our shows, you can help by going to The Spark Project. Two shows are currently crowdfunding to get to a full season. Help us make more podcasts like Go Hard Girls, which tells the stories of Filipina athletes. Give a Hoot, an insider's look at the field of communication and digital marketing in the Philippines. We also just launched a new podcast, Usapang Econ, which makes economic principles and issues and topics easier to understand and more accessible for all of us, more relevant to our lives. And then, of course, there's Te Talks, where Ted Te talks about all things law and government. We have Ulisa Balita. We have our headlines. We're doing sports podcasts, podcasts for entrepreneurs, podcasts for women, podcasts for the youth. For as little as 500 pesos, you can help us produce more episodes. In exchange, you will receive rewards like stickers, tote bags, special thanks in episodes, and even tickets to exclusive talks by the host. Be part of making great Filipino podcasts happen. Visit thesparkproject.com today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.